Tales Shrink Story keeps getting bigger. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined over the airwaves by Motley Fool analyst Asit Sharma. Asit, thanks for joining me. Dylan, thank you for having me. We've got updates on DIY spend, another retailer feeling the pinch of theft. But we're going to kick off today looking at everyone's favorite e-conferencing everything company. It's uh, it's for meetings, it's for talking to your relatives, it's Zoom. Uh, Asset, the company reported results, shares up 4% after what looked like a pretty decent quarter for Zoom. Uh, almost 4% year-over-year growth on the top line. Uh, we saw net income up to 182 million compared to 45 million in the quarter ago. What jumped out to you in the company's results? Dylan, I think that the deceleration that we've seen with Zoom is starting to even out a bit. So, enterprise business, that's the the part of the business which you're selling to enterprise customers, large contracts, contracts over 100,000 bucks a year. Those seem to be growing. I note that the contact center business, uh, which is something that Zoom basically built in-house, has now reached over 500 customers. They were discussing this in the call in just six quarters. So, while we don't have a company that seems to be rejuvenated on the top line, it becomes increasingly interesting from an earnings perspective, from a cash flow perspective. I mean, this is a company that looked like maybe net income would start to wobble a bit, but a very solid quarter on the bottom line. Zoom had $182 million in net income. So, more to talk about here, but I see stabilization is my main takeaway from this earnings report. You mentioned the growth profile there. Uh, management reiterated the full year guidance, uh, implying 2% growth for the year. So, this is definitely a different look business than maybe where they were a couple of years ago. Some of what we were seeing in terms of their full year outlook and, and even what we were seeing in terms of the earnings look this year was reflective of the fact that this is a company making some pretty heavy investments in artificial intelligence. Uh, and when talking through the call, CEO Eric Wan outlined that the company's philosophy on AI is a little different than I think what we would expect some companies to be going after, basically saying that they are a business that does not want to hide anything on the AI side behind price hikes for customers. They want it to be part and parcel of the product for customers. Asit, what do you think of that approach? Eric Yuan has always had a customer-centric focus. He's pretty product-obsessed. I like that Zoom is actually getting out in front of all this generative AI stuff and saying, we're not going to use any customer data to train our models. They could. They could very easily do that, but they're putting customers at ease. Also, they have this aversion to playing around with price too much. Um, they have stated on you know this call and, and previous calls that while there is sort of a competitive pressure now with great rivals like Microsoft Teams, they're, they're going to hold firm to their pricing. They would rather introduce features as add-ons and not try to upsell customers with a sudden raft of, of new features. They want to be able to add on bit by bit and prove out that value proposition. So, by the end of the, the year or, or several year term, when enterprise customers are renewing, they feel really good about signing on the line again. 
I think that philosophy makes sense during a period where we know a lot of those customers are probably going to be a little bit more cost conscious than they have been uh, in previous years. One of the things I, I couldn't help but kind of do with this company's results and and really just processing where their their earnings were and where this business is is take that step back and look at where they are as a business and and really the financial picture for this company given that the growth profile is so different now. Asset as it stands, they are a nineteen billion dollar company. And they are sitting on six billion dollars in cash and equivalents. We mentioned that that top line for them is in the single digits. Do you think that there's the possibility that now that we are looking at a business that has some real financial fortitude in terms of the balance sheet, they may be a little opportunistic with cash, or they may look to find areas to kind of reinstill uh, that that growth on the top line? It becomes interesting if you're sitting in the driver's seat at Zoom, if you're the CEO and the CFO, to try to decide what to do with all that cash. Uh, they did have uh, the contact center acquisition that fell through a while ago, and as I mentioned, they built contact center in-house. They've had some smaller acquisitions, Dylan, but nothing out there that screams, "Hey, uh, we should deploy three to four billion dollars and buy X." company because they're so product focused there is nothing really for them to buy with many of their billions now they could engage in more of these bolts on acquisitions but I'll give you the flip side to the decision making zoom got such a boost during the pandemic it piled up so much money on their balance sheet if you can get 4 to 5% on that money why would you do anything with it would you even think of repurchasing shares I note that in the press release today, other income, we don't know what it is yet until the quarterly report is filed, but this is $41 million of extra money on the income statement. Remember, I said that net income was $182 million, so $41 million of that is other income. We're going to see when we can pour through the quarterly report that a large part of that is interest income. When you got $6 billion and you can put that to work at several percentage points, that's a strength. You should probably celebrate that with the market and, and let investors know we can be an earnings-driven company. And, and part of that is, is having this, in a high interest rate environment, this big asset that, that we're sitting on. So, does it seem like we are firmly in the next chapter of, of Zoom's story, where we've gone from kind of the crazy growth period now to a focus on the bottom line and maybe some of the flexibility that having that cash on hand offers? I think we're turning the page, but something that you bring up, you know, gives me pause from saying it's a slam dunk. There still could be some growth that that we just don't expect out of Zoom. I don't know if we'll ever see like the amazing growth they had during the pandemic. But these investments in AI, as they become better and better with with this tools and this deliberate approach, I think they have the ability to pull some market share away from competitors like Microsoft Teams. They have a few products already they've rolled out this year that corporate customers are playing with and, and really like. Um, and the Zoom phone keeps getting more robust. They have a product called Zoom One, which pulls everything into a unified platform. Almost looks like a competitor to, to Microsoft Teams itself, but that's going to be rich with AI features in the coming years. So while I think the preponderance of the investment case is now on the earnings side, and I think they can grow those earnings. Faster than than most would believe. Look at the market thinks they're at, should be trading at 15 times forward earnings. That that may be cheap, but there is a little bit of juice left in the tank to speed it up a bit more. So stabilization now, but don't count them out to show a bit better growth on that top line in a year or so. 
Let's switch our gaze over to retail updates. We had earnings from Lowe's and Dick's uh, before the bell on Tuesday. Starting with Lowe's, kind of a mixed result quarter for them. Earnings came in ahead of expectations, but revenue lagged slightly. Earnings per share at just over 450 and revenue just below $25 billion. Uh, it's always interesting to take this company and with the benefit of Home Depot reporting earlier in the earnings season, kind of stack these two businesses next to each other. Um, this is a business that is a little bit more subject to the whims of the DIY market than its competitor, Home Depot Asset. It seems like we saw that materialize a bit in the results uh, that the company reported. Totally. The, the consumer is getting a little more cautious. Uh, as management likes to say at Lowe's, like not really canceling projects, just delaying them, which sounds a lot like some of the software companies we look at when management says, yeah, we, you know, we, we've got some of the sales in the pipeline, we didn't close them. But the good news is they aren't being canceled. It's just we're going to close those deals like next quarter. So Lowe's is going to close some DIY deals next quarter, I think, when consumers feel healthier. But the market likes what Marvin Ellison has been able to achieve. I was just scanning, you know, the results today. Operating income was 15.57% as a percentage of sales. And that's a little bit better than the same quarter last year, which came in at 15.39%. So that's a small difference, but it supports this idea that Lowe's is becoming more and more efficient with handling their goods as it goes from supply chain to the floor, out the door. There's a lot of great tech that the company is invested in. Some of their distribution now is becoming automated. They're investing in robots. So, all this long-term investment starts to show during times like this. And I think that's why investors sort of feel comfortable, even though like you know, these results are backwards. Net sales are, are not where you want them to be. That they're down actually. Net earnings also, you know, from three billion this time last year to two point seven billion. Investors don't seem that phased by it. They have uh, some faith in the model that when uh, that consumer uptake starts to happen again, those results will flow through to the bottom line. So I'm not surprised that low shares are actually up a little bit today. Um, you know, sort of kudos to them t for learning how to manage their business a little bit better than in years past. Both in Lowe's report earlier this year and Home Depot's report earlier this year, they cut full-year guidance and then held firm on those adjustments when they provided their update this quarter. I feel like the macro picture, especially with respect to home improvement and the housing market broadly, is kind of in the eye of the beholder. It's it's whatever you want to be seeing in terms of forces and opportunities. You know, with with rates being higher, we're probably not seeing uh, quite as much uh, interest in housing and financed housing projects. But on the same side, like people aren't necessarily looking to move, which to me would indicate they're they're more likely to improve the homes they're in. Asit, how are you thinking about some of the macro forces affecting these businesses? The first one I'm looking at, Dylan, is like lumber deflation. That hit Home Depot's results and it also hit Lowe's results a bit. So, you know, when the price of lumber goes down, that's less of a sale for these companies, right? <laughs> so, that's something that we should keep in mind, but it also is an indicator that the projects are getting more affordable. 
like lumber was so expensive during COVID, it's finally coming down. So, if you look at that one macro uh, factor, that projects that when consumers feel a little bit more comfortable, they'll they'll go ahead and engage in that deck project, or uh, maybe building a small like one small room. Right? No one thinks in terms of extending their house like by twenty five percent anymore because stuff is so expensive and it takes so long just to to contract the labor. But whatever those small projects are, I think there is more. An appetite. Now, the the other macro factors are just interesting, as you point out. You've got consumer debt that is at an all-time high in the United States, and yet you have this really tight job market. So there's a scenario where the credit cards are sort of maxed out, but people feel the wealth effect because they are they are employed, and the economy itself against all odds and predictions is sort of humming along. So, employers probably have a little bit of leeway to at least raise their earners up to the rate of inflation. Let's say that the true inflation rate somewhere this year is going to be 3 to 4%. I'm not saying that next year everyone gets a 3 to 4% raise, but a lot of employers to stay competitive will give something to their employees. So, that sort of mental wealth effect will keep People coming into these stores, and, and as you point out, if if the housing market's tight, you're gonna upgrade some things. I have just a few pennies to rub together this year, Dylan, but I'm upgrading stuff too. I'm like going into Lowe's and, and Home Depot, and I, I find myself wondering, like, why am I doing this? Right? I should be saving more. But this is uh, the the retail um, habit that that we're all in. A little, finally, a little bit of retail therapy. <laughs> As well, I, I think I mentioned this uh, last week on on a, a podcast here, but there is some element of just spending out of relief that the bottom didn't fall out in our lives and economy. For most of us, it's still tough out there. I should say though, this isn't to say that that everyone is enjoying uh, the benefit of a tight labor market. It's it's uneven as it always is across the globe uh, in terms of what people are experiencing. One retailer that had a slightly different story with the results, and I think maybe hit a little differently uh, by some of the consumer spending trends, was Dix. Shares down 20% after reporting profits down 23% year over year, and a miss on the top line in its quarterly update. And management was quick to point out a couple culprits uh, for that earnings miss and, and that struggle on the top line. Uh, one of them being struggles in the company's outdoor segment, which is where a lot of their higher-priced items tend to live. Um, the other was retail theft, um, which is something that we've started to hear more and more about. And this was something that was specifically talked about with respect to the company's profitability. Which one do you want to dive into there first, Asset? I guess that uh, outdoor segments, these are discretionary items that maybe go hand in hand with the sort of delaying of projects on the low side. I, th- I think that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're just taking a pause, uh, maybe this summer, perhaps in the fall, they get a little bit of, of boost. But the spring and summer for many retailers seemed soft to me in terms of bigger ticket items. So that's not a surprise. What do you make of this this theft thing, though? It's not something we usually associate with Dicks, although there is a growing wave of this conversation in big retail. I'm curious, Dylan, your thoughts first. Well, this is admittedly a company you know that I, I catch up on around earnings season, but in in my research for the show, this is the first time that theft has been mentioned on a company call in about 20 years, according to people that have been tracking this for quite some time. Um, and management looked to put some numbers to the shrink story, saying uh, margins fell 34% compared to 36% a year ago, and that a third of the margin reduction they saw was from shrink. 
it is possible that that shrink gets worse over the course of the year. You know, there's a part of me that says we're we're seeing this from multiple retailers, and you know, anecdotally, we're seeing a lot of news stories around this, and so I think it's something that we have to be watching in the retail space. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about this, uh, Asad, is as stories become industry-wide trends, they also can become kind of convenient ways for companies to talk about results that, that aren't so good. How do you look at retailers that are talking about the shrink story? Now, we know retailers already have this great excuse in terms of the weather. So, the, you know, the weather was bad in the Southeast United States this quarter. Those rainy days, you know, caused people not to come to the store. And that's why we missed our, our expectations. You had this other nebulous category that you can now blame things on. And why I say it's nebulous, shrink doesn't just encompass theft. Shrink actually, if you are an accountant, a CPA, you, you already know this. It, encompasses so many other things that have to do with the condition of your merchandise inventory. So, if you are having, let's say, fresh goods, Walmart, shrink also means spoilage when the tomatoes go bad on the way. But if you mishandle your own inventory, that is shrink. If you order stuff and it's obsolete, customers don't want it, that can also be written off as shrink. So, there's a lot of things in there. And it's a category we don't have visibility into. We don't see the accounting in, uh, entries. So, could this be another way to say we didn't really handle our cost of goods sold very well? You know, we we just weren't tight enough in our own procedures. So, you know, let we did have some real theft here. Let's just call it all shrink <laughs> without going any further. We'll, we'll, we'll use the word theft in, in the paragraph in the press release. I'm not saying Dix is doing this, but to answer your question on how this could work. And then the microscope just sort of goes off of us. Yeah. I think it's important for us to remember, Asit, that uh, all theft is shrink, not all shrink is theft, right? Yeah, totally. I love that. And, and so then the, the flip side becomes for people who are analyzing as investors, well, now you've just created a lot of uncertainty for me. And as we were talking about, Dylan, I think some of this haircut that Dix is getting today is from just the uncertainty of it. They've never really talked about shrink in recent memory, and now they've you know they're pulling back on the total year outlook, but it's sort of ill-defined. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, I feel like I'm I'm a little bit in Dick's management shoes here, where we're not used to talking about shrink too much, and I'm still <laughs> adjusting to it myself. So yeah, I, I think for me, it's it's something where I I would like to get a better sense of uh, you know the measures that companies are putting in place for this stuff. I don't want to see companies anchor too too heavily to it uh, as an excuse for what's happening in their results. But I do understand, you know, we we look back to the results that uh, Target put up. I think that was kind of an eye opening moment a couple quarters ago, saying they lost five hundred million dollars in shrink. That was seemingly a wake-up call that this is going to be something that retailers are talking about. And it kind of opened the floodgates for for a lot of this discussion, uh, probably for the next several quarters, uh, if not the next couple of years. Totally. Last quick thought on that. Maybe that's the way forward is to quantify it. What you had this quarter that was related to, let's say, the theft uh, line item in, in your shrink and what you might see, just quantify that going forward. We'd be a lot more comfortable with that, but we'll sounds leave like, that to the retailers for this. Sounds future. like you're calling for some gap accounting rule changes, Asset. <laughs> if I had my way, still. <laughs> <laughs> always the accountant, always the CPA. Asset, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Dylan. Mm-hmm. 
As always, people on the program may own stocks mentioned, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.